a podcast featuring a unique introspection in each episode. In this episode, we hear from Dr. Karim Dharamsi, Professor of Philosophy and Chair of General Education at Mount Royal University. In this episode, Karim reflects on three generations of his family, from the struggle to acquire and understand the norms of Canadian life, to the courage to respond and possibly revise them. If you are of a particular vintage, Hazrimam's visit to Toronto in 1978 may shape one of your fondest justifications for missing school. You may also recall his pausing during that visit to remind parents, and us too, that we have practical responsibilities that need attending to. We have to get back to school. It was there during that 78 visit, his first with the Canadian diaspora of mainly East African Koja Ismailis, that the Imam memorably enjoined us with an air of moral imperative to make Canada our home. This now familiar refrain was novel in 78. I was young and Canada was already home. We had only been here for six years, and my parents would often and casually refer to East Africa as back home. Formulaic contrasts between there and here rendered a distinction I could mimic, but I hadn't any of the accompanying sense of loss or longing. East Africa was something of my imagination. By the middle of elementary school, English had vanquished Swahili, and Kachi was clutching at small objects for its survival. English would shape and reshape my memories and experiences. If one day I would think myself rootless, and if conflicts between my individual and collective obligations would arise, any prognosis would be rendered by English. It would be my only real home, furnished with the appropriate categories of dispossession and displacement. My parents, both energetic and aspirant, were in their early 30s in 1978. While back home was a firm category, They understood well as precarity and were caught in between two equally seductive longings, first for the familiar comforts of family and friends in East Africa, and second the promise of the endless possibilities of Canada. These temporal collisions, balancing not-so-modest magnitudes of despair and hope, belong to every newly arrived settler. No matter the hardships left behind, there is something of ourselves, irreducible to the facts of our alienated state that we long for back home. And now here, in this new place, we have promises of material security to cajole us. But material security was not the primary reason to call Canada home, to lay roots, or to be Canadian. The comforts of back home, their warmth and community, came at a cost easily intuited, but difficult to describe. My parents were fighting for their political liberty, and mine. Not fully at home in East Africa, they wanted to be fully at home here, with the right to write their own narrative. Needless to say, at home we spoke in far more prosaic terms to rationalize this new place, having easily adopted the taxonomy of a superior education, better health care, and a better quality of life. We accepted blithely the ideal of an inclusive Canadian public order. We could succeed here. Its measures I leave to your imagination. Of course, Canada could be home, because its public power claimed neutrality with regard to morality and religion. Its ideals could include us fully, and its defects could be revised by our participation. Happy beginnings, to say nothing of endings, are often a chimera. I remember well how we were in those early days antagonized by the present, by both the material challenges attending the here and now, 
and the sense of dread that all the effort may be for naught. Impatient and pacing its history to a pre-existing rhythm, Cata quickly revealed that its myths did not easily translate into guarantees. Still, the myths were seductive, and we were working hard to make them ours. Indeed, being the author of one's life is hard work, and it comes with its own muscular strains. How many of you remember your first year here? Do you remember the hunt for familiar faces, the first place to live, childcare, transportation, and grocery shopping, your first job interview, your first job? Do you remember the first business venture or that first night class? How many of your parents endured the polite Canadian camouflage that thinly veiled racism, religious discrimination, and a patronizing range of colonial assumptions about fitting in and being the right kind of immigrant? Nurdin Lalani, a denizen of M.G. Vasanji's all-too-real no-new land, reminds us the way you spoke determined who you were. Speech is as much an accessory as a jacket or a skirt. It judges you against the norms and is aesthetically and so ethically unforgiving. In this context, our parents endured a life of labor, and for many, their faith anchored their resolve to labor again the next day and the day after that. Their lives chafed against the repetition measured out by morning and evening prayers. Glaring eyes, perceived and real, followed them as they tried sorting the sanctions of Canadian life. Do this, don't do that, and never, ever do that. For the most part, they endured without much complaint. Lots of work, few words. We are historical byproducts of colonialism and caste. We genealogically understand the chemistry of exclusion, of hierarchy, of otherness. We had fashioned our own superiority in East Africa, but in that same place understood our station subordinate to our European benefactors. Now, subject to Canada's historical recalibration, its guiding myths promised a transcendent egalitarianism that we could only partly understand. We assumed that the terms of equality required a properly socialized public face. We would shed our own historical sense and religious identity, relegating its importance to the sphere of our private interests our families, friends, and Jamadkanas. By 1982, the year of Canadian constitutional repatriation, Canada explicitly promised rootedness in its ideals. Legally, we were full citizens. However, for full inclusion into its egalitarian dream, Canada's pre-existing rhythm would require a new tempo. Perhaps we were being invited to rethink the idea of Canada. In my own family, 10 years into our metamorphosis, we were still acquiring the norms the possibility of any participation of our being invited to be authors of not only self but state was well beyond our political imagination. The norms bound us and our understanding. At our core, we were still subordinate. Our successes and failures would be judged against an independent pre-existing standard of which we weren't authors. Over time, my parents would be comforted by our place in Canadian society. Talk of back home had lost its material efficacy having been relegated to formulaic contrasts, devoid of sense of loss and longing. East Africa had become a memory, or even something, of their imagination. In 2020, Canada is home. My parents are now grandparents. Their grandchildren live on Treaty 7 territory. We had settled in Toronto when we first arrived. We didn't know that the city was located on the traditional territory of many indigenous nations, we were preoccupied with sorting our social sanctions and renovating our metaphors. We were trying to make sense of ourselves in relation to the standards of Canadian life. No Canadian signal on any register indicated that we were on treaty land. 
our citizenship process, culminating in a happy ceremony just before Hazim Ram's visit in November 1978, made no mention of Canada's colonial history and its ongoing violation of Indigenous rights. We didn't know that in sorting out our Canadian life and adopting the force of its norms, we would also elide an essential aspect of Canada's past. We wouldn't know that we were treaty people too, and that Canada's moral redescription would one day include Indigenous authors alongside their colonizers. In 1978, we were settlers looking for a home. In 2020, we are home, but we're still settlers. Today, my children acknowledge that their self-authorship is tied up in Canada's history and future. They accept that they are to engage in a historical process of redescription, of reconciliation and truth. The rooted cosmopolitan has a home, but understands the world is also hers, that we are in some larger comprehensive sense, one people. This view is convenient. It's lived experience, a matter of moral luck. For my kids, and I suspect for some of yours, Canada is home, and home is not just a place to live. The concatenations of the liberal tradition are facing their challenges, and the country's rhythm is changing. Canada remains a place with a transcendent egalitarian ideal and real hope for radical democratic reform. Many authors will be required for us to ensure that this ideal is always in view and that no one voice ought to be sequestered as representative of the whole. Of course, we might fail, since the task is large and the old myths remain seductive. Much like in 1978, the practical affairs of life call for our attention, and our kids need to be in school. This time, we are full citizens. We understand the norms and are no longer afraid of exiting them. And practical life may not be what we assume of it. After all, Exits are built out of speech and require articulation. We'll need our accents and our best words. We'll need our writers and our poets. Joseph Brodsky said in 1991, by failing to read or listen to poets, society dooms itself to inferior modes of articulation. Those are the politician, the salesman, or the charlatan. In other words, it forfeits its own evolutionary potential. For it distinguishes us from the rest of the animal kingdom is precisely the gift of speech. Poetry is not a form of entertainment, and in a certain sense, it's not even a form of art. It is our anthropological genetic goal, our evolutionary linguistic beacon. In 2020, going to school can be revolutionary, and even dialectical processes, rendering meanings out of despair, can be measured out by morning and evening prayers. For fresh episodes of The Reflect, visit our website at the.ismaili/thereflect. Did you know The Ismaili now has a podcast? You can find this series along with much more by searching for The Ismaili Podcast on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. Just subscribe for new episodes.